0: Welcome to the Grow Your Practice Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Miles Botson. Uh, Dr. Miles is of the Cash Practice, and today we're going to be discussing details, best practices, and legalities of a chiropractic membership model. Um, we're going to dive deep into patient retention. We're going to talk about uh, legalities of integration with insurance based practices and a few other things that can help you take your practice to the next level. So, welcome to the podcast here, Dr. Miles.
1: Thanks, Chad. And, and Miles is fine, by the way. But thank you so much, Chad, for inviting me. And I'm looking forward to sharing with the audience. And hopefully I bring some value to those of you listening right now. I'm That's, that's the intention at the end of the day with these things. Awesome. So love your story. Watched uh,
0: the movie that you have on your site. Can you talk me through a little bit about how you became a chiropractor and how you came... Uh, to this point in your career, helping other chiropractors grow their
1: practice? Yeah, Chad, that, that's a, a, it's always a fun question to be asked and and, and to answer. And um, for those of you wondering, like, what do you mean you watched a movie? I'll, I'll share that in just a moment here. Um, but the story is, I'll just give you my, my cliff note version is, um, and you and I were talking prior to this, starting this podcast that you were going into engineering as well. And that was my history as well. I was studying to be an engineer. I was kind of, kind of following the footsteps of some of my uh, siblings who both be, uh, so, some of my brothers who became engineers. And I said, well, if they're doing it, I should do it too. And kind of went down that path. And um, late into the career, not late into the career, I should say, late into my education, qu- towards the end of my engineering education, I woke up one day and realized, what am I doing? This isn't really my calling to become an engineer. And um, I kind of went into a panic mode, kind of like, what am I doing? I'm going to about, I mean, during my senior year of electrical engineering, which is a brutal subject and a brutal topic. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And so I kind of got in this panic mode and I went down to the beach. I live in Southern California and I um, took a pad of paper and sat on the beach and kind of started writing out, what do I really want in my life? What do I want? If I don't want to do this, what do I want? And I try to get some clarity as a young 20, 21 year old kid at the time, trying to figure things out. And after spending an afternoon writing, writing and writing and writing and filling out a but probably about a dozen pages of notes, um, I got some clarity as to like what I thought was important to me. Now, at the same time in my life, like many people, I was visiting a chiropractor. I was actually seeing a chiropractor since I was 12 years old um, on a pretty infrequent basis. It was on a, I guess you would call a symptom basis if you would think of it that way. Um, I had injured my neck as a young kid diving into a pool and ever since then I was going to a chiropractor infrequently, but I, I would go. And I just happened to go visit my chiropractor at this same time this happened where i kind of got clarity about what i wanted to be when i grow up and just so happened while i was there kind of a light bulb struck me that this chiropractor is living what i just wrote he's literally an example of what i just got some clarity around and when my vision became clear and then it kind of in real life showed up to me i'm like wow this chiropractic thing is kind of cool i should check this out more and um i did i went and back to my school and looked at a i looked at some books on chiropractic and i read some things in there that kind of that that excited me. I read about the the principles of chiropractic that kind of got me excited. And um, like a like a light bulb went on, I just decided that's what I should do. I, I'm called to be a chiropractor. And that was really the genesis of me. Like a lot of health doctors, I made a decision and I went to school and loved going to chiropractic school and got out of school and uh, ran into a brick wall, thinking I was gonna tackle the world and everybody was going to be coming to me, and I was gonna be super successful and I say I ran into a brick wall because I ran into some many some, some significant challenges, like many many young doctors getting out of school and you know thinking they're going to save the world. And that was my experience. I uh, was a cocky young guy and uh, thought I was going to you know really kick butt. And uh, I did okay, but I really I struggled until I until I solved some challenges. Until, until I later solved some challenges. What
0: what were some of the biggest struggles that you ran into early on? I know you had mentioned uh, at least a few specific patients. Coming in wanting you know their insurance to cover it, or they couldn't afford, yeah, their the the rate or anything like that, and then going elsewhere, and how that you know left you feeling deflated, and ultimately that solution led to a sober lining, which was solving this for a lot of other clinicians as well,
1: yeah, you know it's interesting, you know, um you mentioned the movie earlier and and if you watch the movie and, and if you're wondering what is this movie you're talking about, we have a movie called The Calling and that you can go you want to maybe share everybody with the the URL later, thecallingmovie.com, you can go watch it. But in there, we kind of illustrate, we kind of play out with actors, this whole scenario of kind of running into a brick wall and having some frustrations. In fact, there's a scene in the movie where I finally am so frustrated, my wife and I have to pick up the phone and call my mom to go move back in with my parents because we could literally couldn't afford to live on our own. And what led to that was kind of what you just alluded to is, is that here I was a young kid in school, or not in school, in practice. And this was in the early 90s. And in Southern California, the early 90s was when managed care really took hold. Um, the Mercedes 80s, as we refer to them, was gone. The days of just, you know, submitting an insurance claim and getting paid well. those the, the, the doctors that I used to know from the 80s were all driving Ferraris, and they were all doing super well financially and really successful. In the 90s, that all changed because of managed care. Suddenly now all the management company or the, the hospitals were making the money, whatever, the management and not the doctors, um, so I would have patients showing up, you know, who were part of an HMO or part of a PPO. And I was a young kid and I wasn't part of those, although I wanted to be, I tried to get into those managed care organizations, but they wouldn't allow me because at the time they were very exclusive and they weren't letting just anybody in. So I was in this place where people would show up with these managed care programs and I wasn't part of it. And it led to, you know, challenges of like, how do I get, how do I get over this? How do I run a practice where... The people want to come in and use their insurance. I'm not part of it. Um, Not only that, I'll also mention for those of you, you know, some of you can relate to this is that the type of practice I ran was more of a wellness type practice. I know some of you listening right now are in functional medicine and some of you are chiropractors and some of you are uh, more pain based, whatever you're doing. But my model was at the time, not of, you know, coming to me with a car accident. My model was you came into me for health and wellness and Back in the early 90s, when you looked up the marketing of the day for a chiropractor, at least, and you looked in the yellow pages, which is what the marketing of the day was, right after churches or right before churches was chiropractors. And it was a full-page ad of after one after the next of either a, a picture of a guy bent over with lightning bolts flying out of his ass or a picture of two cars crashing into each other. You know, it was all about back pain and car accidents. It was nothing to do with wellness. And I, I bring up the word wellness in 1994, when I registered the the name of my practice, we were literally the very first business in all of San Diego County with the word wellness in our name. No other business had the word wellness at the time. And I know this because you go to the city and you register and you have to look up names. And um, so that was our thing. Wellness was our thing. But meanwhile, bottom line is people thought of chiropractor for back pain and car accidents. Uh, they thought of uh, they wanted to use our insurance. And I was none of those things. And so yeah, I think maybe people could identify, like, yeah, that could be pretty challenging in, in that environment. Um, and it led to typically when you're meeting a place of frustration where people are um starting care potentially or maybe even dropping out or not starting care. I was, like I said, an engineer prior to this or studying engineering. And if you know any engineers, we tend to be problem solvers. That's what we do is solve problems. Um, so after uh, about a year and a half to two years of frustration, I finally got fed up with the frustration and put on my thinking cap and put my engineering hat back on and uh, started on a mission to figure this out. And I saw, I, I, I stumbled across a number of things that al- eventually turned the corner where eventually we had extremely high success in practice, really, really high success in practice, where when I retired back in 2011 from active practice, um, we had Stats showed we were doing very, very well, and I don't want to go to details of those per se. But we were doing extremely well. One I will share is this: um, the thing that was most important to me as a chiropractor, and I'm sure those of you listening who, even if you're not a chiropractor, if you see patients on an ongoing basis, if that's part of your treatment protocol, is to see people for an extended period of time. Um, it's frustrating when you start a patient and they don't follow through, or they drop out of care early, and I had that extraordinary frustration, and I was like, how do we figure this out? How do we get people to follow through? And I know I'm just kind of rambling on here. I'll just share this real quick, and that is I was lied to like a lot of doctors. I was taught in school that if I just educated my patients over and over and over, if I just taught them the importance of the care I provided, if they were just well-educated enough, they would follow me to the ends of the earth. And I say I was lied to because I was. I was educating people extremely well, and yet they still didn't listen and follow through. Um, I think, Chad, you would agree, and the audience would agree right now, you have patients that know they shouldn't smoke, but yet they still do. And you have patients who know they should exercise and still don't. And I know you have patients that know they should eat better and don't. There's more knowledge than ever right now. There's, There's enough education that people should know, but yet their behaviors don't change. So when I realized that, I went on a mission and started studying some behavioral psychology and trying to figure out what drives our patient's behavior to stay versus leave. Because nothing's more frustrating, like I said, than you know you could help a patient. In fact, and I'll I'll give you, I'll pause here in just a second because I know I'm rambling here. Doc's listening right now. If there was a treatment that I could teach you right now and reach through the microphone and teach you a specific form of care that you could provide to your patients and you would always get better clinical results, I'm going to guess every one of you want to know whatever that is so that you get better clinical results. And that's because we're healers. That's what we do as doctors. We want to help our patients do better. And there isn't something magical I could teach you, but what I will say is this. Wouldn't you agree that one of the reasons a patient does not get the full benefits of the care and the treatment plan you're recommending is not because you haven't learned that magical form of care that I'm referring to, But it's simply because the patient failed to follow through and if the patient isn't following through that means they're not getting the best clinical results and it behooves you as a doctor to learn what it takes to help people follow through because ultimately that'll translate into your patients getting better results and that's really what this is all about is helping people get the maximum results possible so i know i went on a long tangent with that but that's you know that's that's kind of the, the the vision and the mission of all of this Love it. Uh, I have a page of notes here, so I'm going to ask you quite a few Yeah, for
0: sure. You just talked about. The first one that you seem to be saying is when you were doing health and wellness um, in the early mid-90s, almost nobody else was doing that. Everybody, the, the The model was different. How did you hear about that? How did you get the thought about health and wellness first? I remember that time period. I would very much agree with you. That was not the scene in physical therapy in any way at all. How did you think about that? And then um, yeah, I mean, the first one you shared is that society in general at large wasn't used to thinking that way. How did you overcome those those earlier barriers?
1: That's that's an interesting question. I you know part of it's your upbringing as a kid growing up. My mom, I remember her, uh, bless her heart. She's going to be ninety eight this year. Um, Congratulations. Starp as attack and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, growing up with avoid doctors, avoid medications. You know, stay. You know, be active. Um, go outside and play all day, you know, going, so it was kind of ingrained in us that we did not resort to, um, um, I don't want to use the word medical care, just we didn't, re- we we were, we took responsibility for ourselves, as a guess way of putting, we were taught to take responsibility for our own health um, and, and not ignore things. I would also say that, um, where else does that come from? It's a great question. Um, I guess just growing up, it always, for me personally, it was just ingrained in me to always be looking to do the best you can for yourself. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't like I was exposed to anything. I I will clarify though, when I went to chiropractic school, um, like many school probes, you're learning all about diagnosis and x-rays and all the stuff that goes along. And, you know, with being a, 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 a doctor and, um, the school I went to, um, for those of you who are not chiropractors, the chiropractors will know this, but those of you who are not, there's different philosophies in the schools. Some of the schools tend to lean more on the medical side of things, which is, you know, you go to a chiropractor for back pain, and then some of the schools tend to lean towards more of the holistic approach, which is you go to chiropractors for health, and you will just think of those two camps. Um... The school that I went to was more on that medical side. It literally was that you went there and it was all about you know treating you know neuromusculoskeletal conditions and it was very symptom based. And um, I just innately lean towards the more health side of things, the more the wellness side of things, just by the way the way I was. And my nature is is I love to debate with people. I love to be like, I love to challenge. I love to ask questions. I love to have conversations where people challenge my thoughts. They don't just agree. Like it, we get into a not an argument. I don't mean that. I mean just literally conflict. Healthy uh, conflict. Healthy conflict. Yeah, healthy. Like, and I had um, I had great clinicians in school that would that would force me to defend my position or force me to ex to uh vocalize my positions. And I found that 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 exercise of doing that grounded me even stronger in it. It wasn't that I was right and they were wrong or they were right and I was wrong. It was just we were two different philosophical viewpoints and. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just spoon-fed to me. So in fact, many of the most successful uh, wellness type chiropractors I know went actually to neuromusculoskeletal type schools and had similar experiences. Now that isn't true for everybody that comes out of the schools like that, but that's likely, you know, when I think back on it, that's I had to sharpen my skill I had to sharpen my saw, I guess you would say. You know, I had to sharpen my skills. Um yeah, I I mean that it's not it's not a question I've been asked before. It's a it's a very unique question. And I don't think it's a um you know, it's it's part of the fiber of who you are. Like some people are born and they think a certain way and some people born and think a different way. I don't know, without getting the politics or all that kind of stuff, like literally, you know, we all have our ways of thinking about things.
0: Yeah, I I Thomas Loker wrote a book called The History of Healthcare in the United States of America, and that does a very nice job of laying out in the eighteen hundreds how essentially what became I think they called it patent medicine at the time, which became big pharma. And then you had this uh, naturopathic approach as well to wellness, um, that they were very much equal. And you and I know, like, if you just look at the US GDP numbers, it's essentially 95% of money goes to the reactive based, right? um, Big pharma, uh, injection surgery, et cetera, versus uh, 5% or less goes to chiropractic care, PT, podiatry, occupational therapy, speech combined. It's it's pretty, pretty rough. Um, but yeah, so th- thank you for being courageous <laughs> you're early and mid nineties. Um, and obviously you're way ahead of the, the curve there. Um, w- was there a certain point early in your, uh, chiropractic practice life where you were like, okay, this is taking hold. Um, and I know like being in San Diego, I'm sure was great. Uh, seems to be a little more uh, progressive than other areas of the country. Um, was there a certain point where that became widely accepted and you, you went on a rocket ride there?
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a time where I were I don't know if our society changed. I don't know whether, you know you're right. San Diego, the Southern California health and wellness is definitely more in the mindset here than early on, at least you'd say. I'm sure it's spreading and they usually say what happens in, you know, managed care started in Southern California. It took 20 years to sweep the nation. Like generally what starts here eventually sweeps the country. Um, I think what changed though, is I finally myself took figured out some things. I literally made my office, my practice into a laboratory where I set up some video cameras in some of my treatment rooms. Now they weren't on, but they were in there. And what would happen was um, a patient would ask me, hey, what's the camera for? Why do you have a camera? And I would say, well, it's funny you should ask. If you don't mind, I would love to interview you and ask you some questions. So what I'm getting at is I didn't, I didn't choose the patients I interviewed. I let them choose me. So kind of a random trial here. I let them choose me by asking whoever asked about the camera. And then I would interview them. I'd say, hey, Mary, you've been coming here. It's been a year and you've been in here 100 visits in the last year. Why are you still coming in? I'm really curious what drives you to be here. Or I would ask another patient, and I would ask them all kinds of questions about their behavior of why they were here. Mary or John, you've been here, and, you know the way you pay for care. I'm just curious, does that drive anything for you? Like if you were, you know, you're paying us per month, What if we were asking you to pay one visit at a time? How do you think that would be different for you? Like I really started digging in and asking really significant, really, um, I guess, curiosity questions. Like I said, I love that conversation. I like being challenged on things. So I would ask these kind of challenging questions to patients. To really kind of get into their mindset as to what drove them to be there, and over a over about a six month window of time of doing these interviews, I kind of narrowed it down to like four or five key characteristics, key things that drove their behavior to be there. Initially, I was thinking like, oh, is it going to be moms? You know, is it going to be certain socioeconomic status? Like, who are the people who are staying with me um, versus those who weren't per se? And it was surprising to me that. There was only a, key, a few key things that they had in common, and then not only that, there was some principles that I kind of pulled out of it. That I realized, okay, these are the things actually driving them to be there. And once I kind of identified those, then I started really. Now that I knew them, I started focusing on them in the practice, and we started things. We we started seeing success and growth, and then, as an engineer, I said, "Well, now that we kind of figured this out, let me build some systems because." I don't know if any of your listeners have read the ebook, but if you, or the e-myth, I should say the e-myth, <laughs> you read that book, right? You know, you learn all about systems. And that was a game changer for me reading that book. And I realized we need to systematize the way we run everything. So applying these principles and taking these principles I learned and some of these ideas and systematizing them. And that's really where things are taking off. It was not really society changing. It was us kind of doing some new kind of, I don't call revolutionary things, but they were revolutionary, I would say in a, in a Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I might be a little egotistical to say that, but they were they were key things we started putting into practice that that I hadn't been doing before, and they all really started having an impact. Awesome. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, what were they? Okay, so first, let me just share one of the the two common things we saw in these people. Who these people were? Number one was. Well, let me say it this way. One thing we learned from this is I listened to the words people use. I really pay attention to the language they use. And one of the words that came up over and over among all these people we were interviewed was the word convenience. Convenience was a driving value. And I think it's even more so in today's world. It was a driving value of them being there. That everything we did was convenient for them. Everything from the way we did scheduling to the way we did payments, to the everything you can think about convenience wise, location, everything. the fact that we ran out of time and we didn't make people wait in the rating room for 20 minutes and all that kind of stuff, that those things were reported to me. And we kind of narrowed it down that, okay, convenience is super important to people. The other thing we had narrowed down was the way they paid for their care, the way their care was being paid for. And I know in the introduction, you talk about this membership model, which is basically an idea that people are paying a fee for a, a set a set, serv- set of services versus one you know versus one service at a time which we can go into in a bit, but the key things I took away was this, and I'll kind of give you, a, a, the the listeners, a summary. There was four key principles we identified. One of them I kind of mentioned already, which is the way people paid for things. And the way we, what we identified in that principle was we needed to make payments the way people paid for the care, frictionless. It needed to be easy for them. It needed to be automated. And we're talking 15 years ago, well before, you know, the, the, You know, the bigness of the internet and people were used to putting their credit card on the the online. This is when people were afraid, like, oh, you could you're gonna keep my credit card? Like, is that safe? You know, that kind of that attitude back then was still pervasive. It's not today, but it was then. And we identified we needed to automate things. And that's one of the big things we did was make payments frictionless. Number two, we identified patients responded better when their care was forecasted from start to finish. Here's what I mean. If Chad, you were my patient, I didn't, I learned not to do this. The mistake would be, hey, Chad, let's get you started with care. And over time, I'll let you know how things are changing and we'll take it from there. Leaving you not knowing how long this is going to take, leaving you kind of like at the mercy of what I say as we do things versus just being upfront with you and saying, hey, Chad, based on everything we did, we've, de- we've determined you need X and just telling you upfront everything. Patients respond better, and I think even more so in today's world with transparency and all these things, and being more authentic, et cetera, people need to know upfront what are you going to be recommending for the full program of care, and what is their financial obligation? They need to know that up front. We refer to that as forecasting their care. Not only is it a recommendation, but I'm sure the listeners are aware of the new law that came into place last year, the Patient No Surprises Act, where it's now a federal law that you must go over finances with people in advance of their services. So now there's a federal regulation that basically, it forces you to do a good business practice, which is forecasting of uh, the financial and the clinical side of things for your patients. Number three we identified, patients need feedback. They must, must get feedback. On a regular basis on how they're performing, how they're doing, how they're progressing, especially if you're the type of doctor where you're seeing patients beyond the symptomatic improvement. Once they get to a place where they're not symptomatic or they've mostly improved their symptoms, but yet there's a period of treatment still going on, during that window of time, it becomes extraordinarily important that you're giving patients feedback, but you're giving it to them. Here's the key takeaway we learned. You must give it to them in a language they already understand, meaning you're not using your doctor language with your patients. You're not trying to get them to understand what you understand. You're just giving them, for lack of a better word, you're giving them a report card. You're letting them know, Chad, you were a D when you came in, you're, you were a C a month later, and right now I'm happy to report you're a B. Like B. You're giving them feedback in a language that makes sense to them. That's key. It's, it's the exact reason people love Fitbits, right? They have a device that gives them feedback about how they're performing steps as an example. The fourth principle we learned is this is the one that I kind of kind of kind of beat up before, which was the patient education thing. Patients need to have some education, but it's not really the education we identified that's important. It's the frequency of the contact. How frequent are you in contact with your patients? It doesn't even have to be clinical information. It could just be birthday cards. It could be holiday cards. It could be emails about you know the holidays, whatever. The point is, is that we identified you must have frequent contact with your patients. Now, I don't know if any of you picked up on this, but all of these start with an F. And we did that on purpose to make it easy to remember. Frictionless payments, forecasting care, frequent contact, and feedback. Those are the four Fs that we refer to as the four Fs of retention. It's an easy way to remember them. And what I encourage the listeners to do is look at your own practice and say, are you focused on any of those? Are you Doing frequent contact with your patients. Are you forecasting care correctly? Do you have systems in place that have frictionless payments? Are you giving your patients feedback in a language they understand? And if you're not in any of those, that's where you focus your attention. And that's what I learned over, the, over a period of time is put your attention on those four things and innately patients will they'll follow you. They end up, they stick with you. They, don't, they, they follow through with care much more regularly than had you not done those things. And again, I go back to what I started off with saying being lied to. We were all taught, just educate, 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 and don't worry about the rest of the stuff. Just educate them. That's one of the four principles, but it's actually the least effective of the four. The two most important of those four principles is forecasting care and frictionless payments. Those two will have the greatest significant impact on the success of your patients following through with care. So... Those are the four things we 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 learned that that you do those four things. You every patient that comes in and what we often say is is you do those four principles throughout the entire patient journey. And at the end of that process, you have a patient who's become loyal to you in your practice. They're not going anywhere. They're they're listening to you, they're following through, they're they're referring to you, etc. All those things. Yeah. And that's I know what the listeners want, right? You want a success in practice. That's a, at the end of the day, you want success. You want your patients to have success. And this is what we found is a really important. And this is not, this is agnostic, if that's the right word, to what type of doctor you are or what the treatment plan is. It doesn't matter whether you're a chiropractor, physical therapist, podiatrist, doesn't matter what you are, functional medicine doctor, because these principles apply to almost any uh, any relationship you're dealing with a person on an extended period of time. That's really the kind of the theme here. If you see people for an extended period of time, then these four principles are applicable in, in, in your practice.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I've never seen it laid out that way. I, only from personal experience in my own practice, I'll, I'll vouch for all four of those. And the the thing that it did for us, which is uh, more or less a benefit of your the system, the way that you laid it out, was over time, we're growing our, our patient list for reactivations and word of mouth referrals. And um, we can have a list of 10,000 patients who haven't completed their plan of care, have been poor compliance and all of those other things, that person's never coming back and they're never going to send us somebody else. But patients that graduate because we implement these four things and I, Miles, the the one that hit home was, I remember we used to schedule week by week and it was very much commonplace in physical therapy, especially early in my practice career, um, that we would give ranges. So we would say, okay, two to three times a week for six to eight weeks and like how not authoritarian <laughs> how not doctor directed that is yeah like that that is i mean if we would go anywhere like and ask for advice and pay for it we wouldn't expect some you know whimsical range like that fickle range um but yeah we got to a certain point and i just said no more ranges and schedule out the full plan of care on day one so the person knows what to expect so how does that? Um, and yeah, I mean, we've we've seen the benefits of that, and now we have a, a massive patient list, and I know many others do as well. That is full of graduated patients, you know, patients that have completed their plan of care and are ready and willing to be reactivated um, in the future. So, very much appreciate you sharing that, and that is gold for everybody listening right now. Go back and make sure you have each of those elements um, in your practice. Is there anything else on uh, patient retention in terms of? benefits or anything like that that you think through that you help other doctors with?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll mention two things. I'll just simply, I'll go back to something I said earlier, which is the whole intention with retention, the the whole intention with patient retention, it's not a financial matter. Although I will say, doctors, a 5% increase in your retention generally will generate about a 75% increase in profitability. Like we see it doesn't take a lot of retention improvement to improve your financial rewards. Not to mention again, the primary purpose of retention is to help patients get better results. So I always go back to this is a win, win, win. This is a win for the patients getting better results. This is a win for you, the doctor, being more profitable and more successful in practice. And quite frankly, there's, you know, we, we all know that when you're more successful, it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, you know, what I just shared about these four principles, I'd love to give everybody a URL to go look at. And that is, is that okay if, if I do so? Oh, please do, please. Do. Okay. So go visit uh, loyal patientjourney.com loyalpatientjourney.com it's a free resource and it's a basically it lays out in 11 steps a journey of taking a patient from phone call literally all to all the way to the end of their initial care plan where you're ready to graduate them to wellness and you know they graduate as you're using that term um, And we've identified 11 key steps not only we've we identified those if you spend some time on there there's some videos you could watch as well you're going to see these little danger zones. Like it looks like a game board, quite frankly. Remember, shoots and ladders? That's literally what the page looks like. It's kind of fun to play, go through. But you'll see these danger zones. Click on those. Those are the definitions of what causes you to lose a patient at certain points in time. We've identified during the patient journey, it's very predictable why you might lose someone. And along the journey, you know, at this point in time, this is the common reason, you, this is the common way to lose a patient, but here's the, co- the solution to neutralize that. Here's what you do to neutralize why you might lose someone at that particular point in time, right? We all know you might lose someone after they first start care, or you might lose someone once their symptoms go away, or you might lose them when their insurance runs out, or you might lose them when it's time to graduate. Like there's points in time that are pretty predictable that you might lose a patient or a client. And we've identified those. So go around, play on that. It's, it's, it's a fun thing. And click on the videos and yeah, take some time to, 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 to go through the, the, the
0: experience of the, of the Loyal Patient Journey. Yeah. That, we'll put the, the loyalpatientjourney.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening to this, you can go there, click on the link. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. My pleasure. Hi, listeners. I think I might have something that you're interested in. If you are a listener of this podcast, I'm assuming that you're an owner or an aspiring practice owner. And my question for you is, what's the most pressing thing that you're wondering about in growing your practice? So essentially, if you could ask me any question, what would that be? You know, is it something around personnel? Like, you know, how do I handle when team members ask for a raise? Is it something around marketing? Like, should I be advertising on TikTok? Or how often should I be emailing my past patients? Is it something in finance? or practice growth, well, if you have a question, wouldn't it be great to get an immediate answer from me to your question? And I think I have something that you might be interested in. If that does fit the case for you, uh, I might be able to help you out. I'm hosting a live Q&A session for private practice owners, and you'll be able to hop on the call and uh, unmute yourself, have your camera on if you prefer, and ask me any question that you might have related to practice growth. Absolutely nothing is out of bounds. And uh, the the deal is, you just need to register for the call. I think we have a limitation on how many people can get in. Um, we are, this is something new that we're launching uh, specifically to the Grow Your Practice podcast, but you do need to register. So there's likely a link um, here or in the uh, getbreakthrough.com page. So you can go there or look in the show notes here for the link but you do need to register for the next live Q&A session. So what's your most pressing question? You Make make sure that you write that down. What's stopping you from growing your practice and the way that you want to grow it? And then join me in the next live Q&A session, and we'll make sure that you get your questions answered. Question on behavioral psychology, only because I like to geek out on that as well. And, you know, I've read the Cialdini books and those was Duhigg, Habit, and uh, a few others. Is there anybody that was influential, any books that you read early on, anybody there that you heard speak or that you were following that really
1: helped influence you um, as a clinician with your patient? Well, you mentioned Chaldini. You know, th- that's, a, a, th- that's a classic to listen to. Or not listen to, but well, I did listen to a lot of these on audio, but yes, his book as well. I was a big follower of Tony Robbins in my early days as well. And uh, I've always, 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 again, I'm a very curious person. I mentioned questioning. I've always just been questioning people always questioning so yes there's some of these influences absolutely um and a lot of it has been through um i hate to use it just self curiosity but a lot of it has been a lot of it's just been like i'm curious what are you thinking tell me more about that like i'm really and i love those kind of conversations with people so um but yeah i'd say um uh cialdini is 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 probably one he's you know probably the biggest one yeah the great
0: um, yeah, I, I've, I've read the Tony Robbins stuff too. What was it? The giant within or.
1: Yeah. Waking the giant within. I'll tell you a quick story about Tony Robbins real quick. So I'm a, I'm a student in school. This is a 1992 probably chiropractic school. And Tony Robbins is coming to, uh, the LA area to speak. And, um, his tickets were expensive and I'm a young student. I have no money to go, you know, to go. Um, so I called them up and say, do you guys have a student discount or any kind of student ticket available? And they said, no, we don't. And I said, well, I'll tell you what how about if I promote you guys on campus and if I can get 10 other students together at a discount, can I go for free? And they said, sure, no problem. Let's do that. And they gave me some discount uh, to offer. And I went on campus and I got about 10 other students to buy tickets and I got to go for free. And we went and did that. And then I got a, I got a picture. I think I got a picture, but I brought a poster. Like I literally brought a poster to he autographed and, um, you was know, as a young kid, you know, enamored at the time uh, with that stuff. But yeah, I remember reading "Awaken the Giant Within" and and going to his program. And so, some of my team members, in fact, uh, that that work at my company, they go to his programs probably once every year or two. They they they'll go to go to his programs as well.
0: Okay. The, uh, yeah, I love Tony Robbins and the story that it, I I do remember the I think it was coal walking right or yeah uh, coal walking that he did in the beginning and then. Uh, yeah. For everybody that's listening to this, uh, what is it? I'm not your guru. Was that yeah. like, especially had a few years ago. Um, before we hop off here, I'd love for you to tell us, um, our listeners, how can they find out more about you? I know I have cat, the cash up here as well. Yeah, Can you talk about, um, the, the pivotal work that you're doing With doctors to transform their practice sure and feel more valuable in their community as well and the best way for people to find you
1: so you know when you talk about being more valuable in your community that's a great i'm glad you brought that up i'll tell you that for me i'll just speak from personal experience where my feeling of value in my community came from was when i was getting great results with my patients and i'd run into them at the grocery store and Um, they would thank me or they would be with someone and they would introduce me to that person and just give thanks. And that's where my personal value, at least from a a professional standpoint, came from um, in, in that world. And so my encouragement to you listening right now is if you're struggling in that world, know that you're valuable, know that you offer a solution, that your community needs you, that the community has firemen in it, has policemen in it. Those people's lives are better off because of you. And that we know, in fact, I tell I talk to my team who are regularly about this, that your my team members are on the phone regularly with our clients and our clients are doctors. So our team members are talking with the doctors out in the field. And I remind my team all the time, the work you do is helping these doctors save someone's life. The work you do is helping these doctors um take the pain away from that police officer. And because he has no more pain and no more misery, he's a happier man and he's and he's you know, treating his wife better at home. You know what I'm saying? Like That's where your value comes from is you got to know the end result of what you're doing is not just that person in front of you, but it's all the lives they touch. And it translates to that one individual you help is better, Is is, 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 is making their community better and that community being better, is helping the city be better. And when that city, like it just goes on and on and on. So You know sometimes we lose sight of that especially if we're being met with challenges or hmos are coming down on us or managed care whatever that stuff is and it beats us up quite frankly that's why my business is called cash practice we are all about helping doctors do these four principles and freeing themselves from the dependence on insurance so that you're running more of a cash based practice that's in essence what we're doing that a wellness model is generally cash oriented so in that model, you're not dealing with those headaches and those things. And it's a very lucrative and very exciting way to do things. So from the standpoint of how to learn more, you mentioned cashpractice.com. If you're wondering, like, what is this whole cash practice thing? We're a software company. Let me just clarify. I mentioned I was an engineer back the <laughs> background. I ended up going full circle and taking all the knowledge we learned in practice and all the behavioral psychology and all that stuff and all the systems we learned and creating software that lets you, the practitioner, do the four things we just talked about. We literally created software that lets you do forecasting of care, that gives you frictionless payments, that gives you the ability to do frequent contact and allows you to do feedback with patients in a way that makes it really easy in practice. And so I encourage you, listening right now, go to cashpractice.com and you can learn all about it and read about it. Uh, it's another URL just like loyalpatientjourney.com and just like thecallingmovie.com. Um, those are three different URLs that uh, Chad, you can you know share the you know, share with the audience. And um, if you want to learn more about what we do, here's what I would encourage you to do: you click on a little button at the top of the web page of Cash Practice that says "Book a Call." Just schedule a time, and one of our representatives, uh, one of our loyalty uh, patient loyalty experts, will get on a call with you. They'll demo the software with you. They'll answer your questions. There's no pressure or anything like that. It's just simply to educate you. Uh, and if you decide it's a solution for you, then we're happy to help you. And if it's not, then so be it. Uh, I'll mention we have literally thousands of doctors all over the nation and in Canada as well, and some throughout the world as well, uh, that that use our system. And, um, you know, without sharing my screen and getting into a webinar and showing slides and all that, I'll just simply say that the doctors who use our system, they see growth every single – well, I don't want to make an emphatic statement. When you apply these systems, you'll see – generally you see growth year after year after year – uh, simply because they're adding new patients to the practice, but more importantly, they're not losing them on the back end. And those these practices grow month after month and year after year. So I'd love to be of service. I'd love to be of you know a solution for you guys. And if you want to, you know, learn more, just reach out to us.
0: Awesome. So that's uh, loyalpatientjourney.com. Uh is it the calling
1: movie? The calling movie.com, excuse me, and dot uh, cashpractice.com.
0: Yep. We'll have all those links for you. Um, in the show notes. Miles, thank you so much for being here. Uh, this was great. Thank you. And I, by the way, I loved your story about how you first talked with patients, you deduced uh, what the main commonalities were, and then you developed the four keys, the four Fs. Thank you so much. I have a page of notes here, a lot to implement into my own practice as well. Thanks for doing this. Chad, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.